Previously on Infants on Thrones. I'm wondering if you subscribe to any form of karma whatsoever. Astrology is so vast and there's so many techniques, there's so many things you can bring in. It's endless. There's something about the, a shift that happens in your understanding and it doesn't get them off the hook at all. It gets you off the hook. If I'm going to drop the whole notion that there's some sort of like eternal justice, like if you're an asshole in this life, then you die, then you get your comeuppance after this life. You know, the basic idea is that we're all in a process of development, just like you see in nature. The acorn grows into the full-grown tree. Okay, well, if I have to drop that notion, which is where I stand. And now when I go forward and I date, I don't put a burden on these men. I've relieved that from them too. Then I kind of fall into, okay, well, what will fill that void now? And I, I find myself thinking about karma quite a bit. And so here's the, the point that I want to make is that again, if you think about the acorn growing into the tree, we all begin in what we might call the spiritual childhood, which is analogous to being a child as a kind of reflection of that. So we all begin as infants and we just don't know. On thrones. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> if you're an asshole, then, you know, assholery is going to sort of surround you. So, you know, it's just, if there's some kind of shift that happens and it's totally worth learning how to forgive. Displaces the dark, displaces the dark. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. This is episode 672, Justice and Karma, part 7. There, there's only one more after this, and then we're done with, with Justice and Karma. I mean, maybe that's a good thing for you, maybe not. But today, I'm interviewing Eric Myers. He's an astrologer, and uh, I did a reading with him a little over a year ago. I'm going to play some of those clips from that reading in this episode, so you'll get a little sneak peek into my weird life and as if you don't always anyway and uh you're gonna hear a little bit uh, a clip from alan watts again today we had him earlier in the series but uh eric's a fascinating guy a fascinating story i don't really know that much about astrology so it was fun to sit down and talk with him about his views on karma and i hope it's something that you enjoy today as well and if you're beatles fans like i am I think you're going to really like the end of today's episode. So here we go. Let's get right to Eric. So Eric, thank you for coming on to Infants on Thrones. Thanks for having me, Glenn. You're welcome. So um, let me just recap really quick. And this is partly for you and it's partly for our, our audience because at this point, they've listened to a multi-part series called... Uh, what, what, what is it called? It's... Uh, an insatiable need for justice and the meandering search for karma. And so we've been meandering from, uh, we did an episode on Hinduism. I did one where Jim Tucker from the university of Virginia talked about reincarnation, uh, memories that children have of living past lives. Uh, we looked at Dr. Eben Alexander. He's a neurosurgeon that had a near death experience and he reported about that. And we talked about that. Uh, we've talked to a woman named Christy Johnson, who is a, a rape survivor, and she talks about her experience with her dad, and she, she has an interesting take on karma and the role that forgiveness has played in her life, a kind of a different twist on, on karma than some of those other things. 
And then I saw your Facebook post the other day on your birthday where you were talking about karma. And I thought, you know, I, I know Eric, this is a, a astrologer that I've done a reading with before. Uh, I wonder if Eric would be willing to come on and talk about karma. And, and this is all because our good buddy Tom uh, says, I, I, need, I need justice in this world. I need it when bad people do bad things that they, they get their comeuppance and it happens in this world, not in another world. <laughs> he wasn't satisfied with the Eben Alexander life after death stuff. He doesn't want the punishment then. He wants it now. Um, but he, he's still interested in this idea of karma and how karma fits in to all of it. So I wanted to bring you on, uh, talk to you about what, what karma means to you, what you've seen through your life, um, and what it is that you do. And, and maybe you could talk a little bit about your background and, and just introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, well, there's a whole lot there. Which, which one do you want first? <laughs> <laughs> let's, st- let's start, let's start with your background. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Well, I have my my master's in what's called uh, transpersonal counseling psychology. Um, really? Yeah. I went to a little school in uh, Boulder, Colorado called Naropa. Um, now University, when I went, it was called Naropa Institute. And basically, transpersonal is a fancy word for spiritual, more or less, mm. uh, beyond the personal, beyond the ego, as we are connected to mm. something um you know, broader than us. So at any rate, I got my master's in counseling back in 2001, it was. And for basically almost the last 20 years, I have been a counseling astrologer. And that's what I do. And um, now, now you, you told me before that you were raised Jewish. Yes. And you, and then you, you went through an atheist phase and then you got turned into uh turned onto the spiritual path so i so what, what what was that like before you went and you got your master's uh, degree yeah i mean i just grew up on the east coast uh, reformed jew you know very kind of mainstream judaism um but in my own personal life i i did go through a phase where um i was very into science and uh and then psychology is what i majored in in undergrad and I thought psychology had all the answers at that point. And it has some of them, but certainly not all of them. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But, uh, and then my own life did shift in my early to mid 20s, around 23, 24, um, by having certain experiences and new awarenesses. And I basically uh, just got blown open from my scientist, atheistic kind of background. And once I got blown open, I was like, okay, let's. Uh, Let's learn what's out there. So I got into all types. How, of- how did how did that happen? Like what what? It, because I I imagine that a, a lot of the listeners of Infants on Thrones were raised Mormon, very devout, very believing in the 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 Mormon story about God and plan of salvation and all this stuff, and then went wait this isn't really what I thought that it was, and I think a lot of them really go atheist, or if not full atheist where i believe that there's no god it's it's agnostic where i just don't know right and it it seems to me like it's hard to go once you're in that space to then go back to believing in god or believing in kind of spirituality again so could you talk a little bit about your experience what what was it well, that, that blasted open yeah when you? you said the word believe that's where 
it gets tricky because having experiences is different than a belief system. And I did have ex mm. a, an experience that did blow me open. And I'll tell you the story if you want to hear it. I was yeah, yeah I'd love to. <laughs> I was 24 years old. I was working um, for a mental health company as a counselor, and I was doing a shift working with mentally ill adults. And a woman came on the shift. She was a social work intern. She's now my ex-wife, but at the time I just met her this day <laughs> back in 1995 and I didn't think much of it. I was just doing my shift and she seemed to be interested in talking to me. And so I said, okay. And she asked me if I believed in psychic phenomena. I said, no, I don't. And, um, and then she said, well, I'm, I'm psychic. I'm like, okay, well, good for you. And uh, yeah, one, thing, <laughs> one thing led to another. And sure enough, I said, okay, well, if you're psychic, you know, tell me about me. She goes, are you sure you want me to? Did she say you're, you're my future ex-husband? No. Uh, <laughs> but what she did do is, you know, I'll never forget the moment. It's one of those moments seared into my memory. She, um, this is 1995. This is before the internet. No, she didn't Google me or right. anything like that. There's none of that going on here. Right. She just met me this day. Um, and so she closes her eyes and she opens them. And I remember her asking me, are you sure you, you want me to do this? I said, yeah, bring it on. She goes, okay. She gave me the little look because I think she knew she was about to change my life forever. And so I said, okay, tell me about me. And she goes, okay. She goes, you were born in Connecticut. You're the third son of a doctor. You got two older brothers. You played tennis growing up. Your dog's name was Brandy. Um, all this stuff, right off the bat, every single thing was point accurate. Every single thing she said, she said those things and many others. And I had my jaw on the floor and I got upset. I said, I said, how do you know these things? And she's like, I told you I'm psychic. I was like, no, no, really. Did you research me? Is this a joke? Did you talk to the other stuff? She, she just looked at me with a tilted head with a smile and she knew I was having a hard time with it because I didn't fit into my belief system. How she, could she know yeah. these things? Right. Um, but she did. And so she blew me open and we began a friendship where we explored spiritual, philosophical things and we became good friends for a couple of years. And then we got more involved after that. Um, but that was the moment that blew me open. And now I have lots of friends and associates. I've been in the field astrology for 20 plus years who are intuitive or psychic. And it's, it's not anything mysterious or unique anymore. I've had so many experiences with people like this um, that it's, it's, it's routine. Ha having, Having come into that from a, a very, you know, scientific-based, rational background, did did you find ways to reconcile the the intuitive, spiritual, psychic gifts that you were seeing from other people around you and explain it? And well, any at kind first of I was terms? upset and angry because it didn't fit into my belief system. But then once I flipped the switch, that was okay. I'm going to entertain that this could be real. I became open. And then I just, like I said, had this beautiful friendship where I read a ton of books, went to workshops, had discussions and, you know, engaged the spiritual quest. And I just was open before I was closed. Mm -hmm. And from that moment on, I just became open. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, let's see about astrology. Let's see about this. Let's see about that. Once I blow, got blown open, just the world opened up. Now I'm saying I, I, I wasn't accepting anything as truth. I mean, I, 
am discerning and I'm smart and, and I'm not gullible, but I'm, I, I just became more open to things that were transrational. Transrational. <laughs> I, from I transpersonal. I thought I'd throw that in. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so what, what got you interested in astrology? Why, why did you go this direction? Well, like I said, I just became open to um, all types of things like that. And so when I went to Naropa in Boulder, I entered in 1998, a couple of years later, um, you know, progressive, you know, school out in Boulder, people are doing all types of stuff. And someone asked me, you know, about astrology. I said, oh, I don't have too much experience with it. Uh, I'm open. So I started to learn about it when I got to grad school uh, in Boulder. And then once I studied a little bit, it just became clear to me that this was going to change my life. And it has. And astrology, I've organized my life around astrology for the last 22 years. In one way or another, I do astrology between three and 10 hours every day for 20 plus years. It's It gripped me that strong. And the way that I approach it is different than more conventional or traditional astrology. I forged my own path with it. So don't believe everything you read out there uh, for conventional astrology. I certainly don't um, yeah. believe in a lot of, of mainstream astrology, but it's far more complex and deeper and more uh, metaphysical than your popular versions of astrology. So that's one of the hazards of this field is it's a PR mess because the astrology that people understand is not the, the real astrology, so to speak. What you read in the newspapers so is not astrology. Yeah, so so help me help me understand that better. Tell me, uh, and and assume that I don't know anything about astrology because I know almost next to nothing about astrology. Well, let's talk about perfume. Um, I want to get to the karma piece, but I'll, yeah. I'll just say that any astrology yeah. that is sun sign, I am a Cancer or a Sagittarius, or whatever. I'm a Virgo. That's not true. You're not a Virgo or a Sagittarius. You're dozens, hundreds of of factors. That's like saying I'm I'm an American, like you're the same as the other 300 million Americans, that there's no difference. And so when you look at one factor out of hundreds, you are being pretty myopic in my view. So all sun sign astrology, in my view, is um, just incredibly limited and it's not plugged into your own chart. So those are the two things for- So sun-, sun yeah, so 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 sun sign. You you just mean like where where people say, "Hey, nice to meet you. I'm an Aquarius. What are you?" Right. That whole simplification is mm -hmm. a problem um, <clears throat> because that's that's one data point, but there's several. Like when you're doing a chart, how how many how many points are there that you look at? I look at on every chart, and I reduce it. You know, um, you know, there's ten major planets um, and asteroids. Yeah, I look at around fifteen. Uh, major things for every person. Um, but astrology is so vast and there's so many techniques, there's so many things you can bring in. It's endless. I mean, once you open up and jump into the rabbit hole, astrology is ultra complicated, multidimensional. It's endless. There's so many things that when when people start talking about one factor, it's it's just simply, it's it's laughable. Um, it's, it's really just not worth our time to even talk about it is so ridiculous in my mind, not only reducing people to one out of numerous factors, but any astrology that's not plugged into your own natal chart is not about you. Um, and anything that you read 
in the newspaper or magazines is not plugged into your own chart. It's not about you. So I, I, of course, discourage um, that type of uh, basic popular astrology. It's not about you, and it simplifies things. So, so you mentioned the natal chart. What, what is that? That just means your your birth chart, the the time and place you were born. And and what all what 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 does that include? It includes your sun sign and and all the planets. Sign and you know, sun, moon, all, Mercury, all Venus, Mars, Jupiter. You know, and, and 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 the general idea behind astrology is that that the the uni- I, I, I'm I'm asking this and I may be way off, but that the that the universe or our galaxy, our solar system is constantly in motion and there's rhythms and patterns that you yes. can detect if you understand that motion. And when you when you were born in, when you entered in, puts you on this kind of trajectory where you can see certain ups or down times of in in your life, different phases and kind of like Many things, I, I'm yeah. About like lunar tides and things like that yeah. go in and out, like the tides of an ocean or something. Sure. Is, is that is that? Am I am I onto something there, or am I totally off? Yeah. Well, I think you know astrology works on many different levels, many dimensions. It, you know, again, I don't want to simplify, and and all of it's not understood to us at this point. So, mm. um, it's complicated. Um, but the basic idea that you're saying about the tides going in and out or the seasons, people can think of astrology um, in a seasonal way. Like right now, we're you and I are talking in June. We just had the summer solstice, right? Right. And, um, you know, there's an energetic flavor to the end of June. When you go outside with the days this long, you can feel summer. And that's very different when if you were to go outside and feel late November or December, mm-hmm. there's a different energetic quality. And the four seasons are very good at, um, you know, clarifying, you know, different uh, ways that we operate, you know, the, uh, so a lot of my astrology is related to the four seasons, which is not what you find in, in a lot of other perspectives. But to me, everything is in a cycle of growth you know, winter is rebirth and spring is, you know, outreach and summer's realization in the harvest. And then autumn is death and letting go. And then you have another rebirth at winter. And so you can, uh, you have an attunement to this eternal rhythm, this cycle. Um, and again, it's not just one factor in your chart. It's not just your sun sign. Um, but there is, you know, if you look at people who, have a lot of wintry energy. If their if their chart has a lot of Sagittarius or Capricorn, there is a more serious kind of undertone. Um, if you look at people born around the summer solstice in Gemini or Cancer, just to again using that one factor, um, there is a little bit more of this, you know, lighter, more open, more kind of uh, playful, almost quality to those energies and every other place has its own quality too in this cycle of death and rebirth where everything is at some place of that. And so I don't see a lot of the seasonal um, idea uh, in mainstream astrology, but that's the way that I work. I, I, I look at things within this eternal rhythm. A lot of astrology 
is what uh, the way it's framed. I call it popcorn astrology. They'll just bounce around. Virgo is in connection to Gemini and this and that. And if they don't understand it in a sequential unfolding and a cyclical rhythm, everything is dissected. I'm a cancer. You're a, you know, a Scorpio. So we have this connection. Yeah, well... There's more to it than that, as we talked about, but understanding that cancer is summer, Scorpio is autumn. There's another dimension there that we can look at. There's, there's a, uh, there's an unfolding that happens with the Zodiac um, that is largely ignored by most. Yeah. I I remember when, when, when you did the, the, the astrology, the astrology reading with me a little over a year ago, there were, there were times where you said, it looks like, from what I'm seeing in your chart around 2010, 2011, you went through kind of a low, low point in your life. And then you're kind of like building and climbing out of that. And, and it's going to peak around this time and then it might descend again. And, you know, as you told me that I'm like, Oh yeah, well in, in 2010, 2011, that's when I was going through my, my divorce. And like, so it, it surprised me. You're at such an enormous new beginning. It's not just the spring equinox, which I'll describe more in a minute. But in what's called the progress chart, you're also at a new moon, which is another major new beginning. The, the lunar cycle is about 29 years, and you're at a new moon right now. So um, it's a time of maximal creativity, but it's in the dark. You're going to be in the brighter half of the cycle for the next 14 years. So you were down in the dark um, around 2010, 2011. You were down in Shadowlands. You were replaying. Uh, karmic issues from your spiritual childhood and you've been building you at the winter solstice around 2012 and since then you've been building and climbing up uh, hopefully more mature more uh, in connection with yourself and then now is the next turning point to take it even further as you now have come out of the winter out of the climb up from the bottom and now you're got your your sights set at the top of the mountain any thoughts on all that 2010 and 2011 was my first divorce when my ex-wife called the police on me and lied and I spent 24 hours in jail <laughs> for domestic abuse and that was that was that was the darkest time of my life for sure yeah so at the bottom of the cycle is potentially a strengthening a deepening yeah we find our inner core but yeah. on the way there we generally play out shadowy stuff in our uh, karma in order for us to work through it and and strengthen it yeah but it's 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 a much more egoically challenging Mm -hmm. time emotionally down there and you know as you told me that i'm like oh yeah well in in 2010 2011 that's when i was going through my my divorce and like so it it surprised me that you got that right. <laughs> you yeah. know, like you were able to, to read that and go, oh yeah. That's because and, you were at, um, the, that was the rhythm. You were at the point of autumnal death and winter rebirth. And so that technique yeah. that you mentioned is called declination. It's a fancy word, um, but it does give a vertical dimension of up and down um, mm. that you can bring into astrology. And that's one of the major things that I look at with this seasonal unfolding is I've done lots of research. And when people are at that winter solstice time, um, there is typically 
in fact, I would say without exception, major changes around new beginnings and endings, you know, going to new be beginnings in some way. And, and then at the winter solstice begins that seasonal journey through the four seasons again. And we all go through it um, in this 28 year kind of cycle, the one that you're mentioning. There's many other cycles to astrology as well. I mean, as I said at the top, it's a rabbit hole of complexity. This is just one technique that I happen to use. Other astrologers yeah. have other things in their toolbox. And, and, and before we really move into to karma, could, could you talk about what, what is it about astrology that convinced you? You know, like how, how is it that you went, okay, th this is, th there's truth here. That there, there's real insight. Um, how, how did you come to feel that? Yeah, well, <laughs> um, it was a while ago now. It was 1998, so it was 22 years ago. And um, I remember at the time, you know, being skeptical and discerning. Um, but the more that I studied my own chart, it seemed to fit. And then other people I knew seemed to fit. Then... Um, the current activity going on, the, what's called the transits, where the planets are now, and understanding what transits I was going through seemed to fit. The, the issue that occurred for me is that I started pretty quickly on in my studies um, to question astrology itself and the textbook understandings. I initially didn't resonate with the idea that the sun in your chart is your father and the moon is your mother. That didn't seem right to me even before I studied really much at all. I was like, that just seems way too basic and kindergarten and too easy. It, it, that didn't feel right to me. And that's what you're going to read in a lot of conventional astrology. And I don't agree with that idea. Um, and so I didn't just take what I was being given wholesale. I, I questioned it and I formulated my own ideas. And what, and what ended up happening, to be honest with you, Glenn, is at this time in my mid-20s, I was getting into a lot of spiritual ideas and teachings um, about non-dualism. Um, I, was, I was learning from um, teachers like uh, Sri Ramana Maharshi, and Eckhart Tolle, and uh, uh, a guy named Ajashanti, who's been very influential to me, Byron Katie, and many other teachers. And so I was learning about um, progressive uh, notions of spirituality. And so I brought that into the astrology system. And it just really occurred to me pretty early on that the sun is about awakening, and hence my book's yeah. Astrology of Awakening. Sun's not about your father. Sun is about your soul self. It's about awakening into your more enlightened way of being. And the moon, in my view, is more biological. It's more what roots us. It's uh, the moon is a rock. You know, it's hard and it's solid. And the moon is about our physicality and it's about our uh, emotional processing system, how we absorb life, assimilate it, how we integrate with our experience. And so the moon is, is I look at it, you know, more... Uh, biologically and the sun more energetically and the sun's a big ball of fire out there in the sky so that seemed pretty you know consistent to me so um, the astrology that I developed just instantaneously came from that understanding um, which is different than the conventional view 
um, which looks at the moon as feminine or the sun as masculine, or like I said before, mom and dad. Yeah. That just seemed way too simplistic and dualistic to me. Okay. So, so I created the astrology of awakening, and that's the approach that I have, which is different than conventional astrology, and and not widely embraced at this point. I, I, I'll I'll mention. <laughs> can you can you summarize like what what is the basic point of or or the advantage? <laughs> Maybe that's yeah, not well, this is a good to, yeah. To a, yeah. A good question, because it'll take us on a segue into the karma in, in a second. Cool. You know, the, the basic idea that governs my work is that we're all in a process of development, just like you see in nature. The acorn grows into the full-grown tree. The puppy yeah. grows into the dog. The infant grows into the adult. Everything yeah. is in a process of maturation. And so my view is that the moon is like the seed and the sun in your chart is like the gradual process of flowering. So to me, when people talk about the sun sign, like, you know, I'm a Sagittarius, like they have that ace. My view is that the sun is something that we're developing into. What we're That's the process of awakening. The moon is more of who we are. If you really want to know someone, get to know their moon sign. And it's not just the sign, it's the aspects and house placement. It's more complicated than just sign. But if you get to know someone's moon, you will know them, who they really are inside. The sun is, in my view, what we're developing into, the process of awakening into our soul self. But the moon is our biological, egoic personality, kind of the way we survive, the way that we um, see to our own happiness and inclusion in the world. That's the moon. It's, it's the survival function to be in separation consciousness as a human. And the sun is what we're awakening into that connects to all of life and oneness. And that's your energy body that has no boundary. It's, your energy body connects to, to everything in the world. So that's my view of the moon and sun, which is not the traditional uh, take on it. All right. So, so take us into karma. There. How, how, yeah. how, how does this lead into, and uh, in, in does karma involve reincarnation well my view is that it does yeah. um, okay. and so here's the the point that i want to make is that again if you think about the acorn growing into the tree um yeah. we all begin in what we might call the spiritual childhood which is analogous to being a child as a kind of reflection of that so we all begin as infants and we just don't know on thrones <laughs> perhaps <Yeah. laughs> and uh and we're naive and we are immature and i don't mean that in a pejorative way i just mean undeveloped it's accurate and just like when you're a newborn baby um, you do not have the cognitive functions you cannot drive a car you cannot run a corporation we all begin in a spiritual immaturity and there's nothing wrong with that. Everything begins, you know, as a seed. An apple begins as a seed, of course. As we said, the, the dog begins as a puppy. There's nothing wrong with this. So I don't bring any judgment to immaturity, as most people do. Yeah. I, to me, it's just, it's just fine and beautiful and just where we start. But here's the thing about it, is that when we are unconscious and immature and newbies, so to speak, um, we don't know what we're doing. You know, think about a, a child, um, if you were to sit a two-year-old behind the wheel of a car, they're not going to know how to drive yet. And so we have to learn, we have to mature. And so when we do things from our naivete and immaturity, 
that may not be conscious, we might create some messes and we might not know what we're doing. We, we might get triggered emotionally because we're not fitting in. We might get upset, whatever it is. We might get angry and we might do things that are not our most soulful self. Now, these things other people might look at and judge as being bad or negative. But I, I don't bring that in. I just look at it as unconsciousness. Unconsciousness doesn't know what it's doing. And so we eventually wise up and be more conscious, and then we can reconcile our karma. But we all have karma based on our unconsciousness, based on immature. This is the way it's set up. There's no way to avoid it because you're going to be born as the acorn. You're not going to know what the hell you're doing. And so we all create karmic patterns, uh, habits. And what I, I see them as habits or tendencies, familiar ways of operating. And those signatures are on the astrology chart. And so we replay our karmic unconsciousness um, in our actual childhood until we mature. Sometimes, sometimes the childhood goes to 74 years, like you might see with the current president, I think is still a child. Other times people <laughs> mature and they wake up and they become much more of an adult. But we're yeah. going to play out the unconscious patterns of our spiritual childhood until we do become more mature. And to me, again, I don't look at that as negative. I just look at it as unconscious. But we do. So, cre- so let me. Let- Let me, let me recap. I want to make sure that I understand what you're saying here, Eric, because when you're using the analogy of the acorn growing into a tree, is that, are are you talking about a person um, being, being born as a baby and then dying as an adult? Or are you talking about in, in one lifetime, or are you talking about this process that, that goes on for multiple lifetimes, reincarnation? Like, um, so, so like to, to be, to bring an example, like, um, like let's say that the Dalai Lama is a mature soul. Yeah. He came in already in his spiritual adulthood. He's been maturing yeah. for many lives. Yeah. Um, someone, if I can use the example, uh, I sure. believe that Donald Trump is not such yeah. a enlightened master. He is an example of an immature soul in, in my view, that's uh, very self preoccupied and, um, and so to answer your question, it all stems from prior lives and okay. it replicates in the present life until it doesn't, until we mature and grow up. Yeah. Okay. And then, and there, then there's, there's this, there's this idea that like in, in Mormonism, there, there really isn't an idea of reincarnation so much, but there, there was something that the, the Mormon prophet, Joseph Smith, who founded the religion said that the level of intelligence that a person attains to in this life um, is the level of intelligence that they're raised to in the next. So, so, and and I'm wondering if that might go along with what you're saying here with, with this analogy of an acorn growing into a tree that if in, in one life you are able to move the dial (laughs) from immaturity to maturity to a certain level, then that's kind of, maybe not that you're born in, in the next life, exactly where you left off, but it's easier to get there because you've done that work before. And then you well, can we pick up on move it even further. And the way that I understand the astrology chart is that yeah. there's going to be things left over from the past 
again, these historical patterns, tendencies, habits, familiar ways of operating. And I don't view it as negative. Um, I, it's just stemming from unconsciousness is the way that I phrase it again. Um, and then there's a necessity to address and reconcile and mature those um, themes. And then there's always new intentions of development, things that haven't been so familiar yet. Um, mm -hmm. That, you know, it, let's say somebody is has a um, spiritual history of being very creative and artistic. And let's say they were a painter or something like that in some prior life. And they're already familiar with that. The way that spiritual evolution, in my understanding, is that the soul is interested in things that are unfamiliar, to be more whole, to be more exposed to the entire buffet table of, uh, you know, that life has to offer. So maybe someone has the karma of being very skilled with uh, artistry, and maybe the present lifetime, they're developing in, in more intellectually. And so maybe they're a Gemini sun, and they're awakening into using their smarts a bit more. And then there's, you know, factors on the chart, one of them is called the south node of the moon, which relates to the karmic pattern. Maybe that's in, let's say, Libra, which points to, you know, refinement and artistry. So there's many different factors. Um, but I wouldn't say if you were limited in one lifetime, that means you will be limited in, in future ones. There's always new intentions for growth, for uh, evolution in, in untried areas. Uh, but there's always the necessity to clean up the karmic patterns. Because again, the way it's set up is that it's, it stems from unconsciousness. So we all navigate unconsciously initially. That's just the ticket into this game. So how, so what, what does that mean to clean up unconscious patterns? Could you give me some okay, well, examples of that? Say the two-year-old who's sitting behind the wheel of the car. He might get into an accident. <laughs> There's something to clean up. Um, so you can bring it to, to any type of area. So let's say someone was interested in leadership and they're unconscious. Well, they might be a terrible leader and create all of this problems based on faulty leadership. Um, let's say someone was is interested in being a mentor and they have experience doing that. But let's say they're not very conscious and then they're teaching their apprentices things that are not very you know, resonant or accurate uh, to life. They're more or less teaching from their own agenda and their own control dramas or something like that. Why would our Heavenly Father do that to anyone? Then they've created some some karma around being a mentor where they weren't doing that as as judiciously and with um, with with more enlightened in, intention. They were coming from some kind of egoic agenda. We cannot change. We will not change. Or so, let's say someone's interested in belief systems, and then maybe they've got karma around being part of a religion that maybe wasn't fully mature and enlightened yet, but dogmatic and narrow and restrictive. Then you got karma around things that are called Sagittarius, uh, which goes with belief systems or religion. So in any area, we can navigate unconsciously. And then that's going to be on the chart for something to address. And then the way ast astrology works is with polarities. So whatever the polarity of that area is, is going to help you balance the karma. And so that is the way to understand the, the karma. It's a balancing. It's like kind of think of like the idea of balancing the energetic books. 
is um, if you are really strong on one thing, but weak on its polarity, you're going to come back needing to focus on the polarity for balance and equilibrium. Now, another way to understand this is here's a, a metaphor that's often used around understanding karma. Think of a placid lake or a puddle, and then you throw a little pebble in, and it's going to create these ripples. And those ripples are going to be concentric circles that go out. And then those ripples are eventually going to hit the edge of the puddle and then come back to the center. That's what karma is, is that you have an action. It creates ripples. And then whatever ripples you put out are going to come back in order to balance what those actions are. And that's the way things become, you know, reaching that state of equilibrium again. Um, so and, so can can we go back to the two-year-old in the car analogy? Okay. Because if the, if the two-year-old's behind a car and they get in the wheel of a car and they get into an accident. Yeah. And, and it kills 20 people. Yeah. And, and the two-year-old dies too. Yeah. How, so, so that's the ripple that's been created in this, this pond. Yes. How, how does that get balanced out? Well, that's, you know, an amazingly, you know, uh, amazing question that I, I, of course, I wouldn't have all of the detail to know how to answer that, but I can tell you what, what I, um, what I surmise is that, yeah is that actions create consequences, but intention is also very important. And obviously the two-year-old didn't intend for that to happen. But if somebody gets in the car and, and just runs to mow down people, you know, run into a crowd or something like that, and how many people I can mow down, there's obviously violent intention going on. And so, um, but we are responsible for our actions. Um, but intention is part of that. And I believe that's very important. And so the way that karma becomes balanced is that there are signatures in astrology. And I mentioned the south node of the moon, the, the nodal axis, which is the nodes of the moon. Um, and the moon, in my view, relates to the spiritual childhood. It, re it relates to our unconsciousness, our immaturity. The nodes of the moon point to this balancing um, situation with karma. There's the north and the south, and they're always opposite, and they balance each other. So that's where I'm drawing this this from. Um, and so, if you look at what's going on to the nodes of the moon in your chart, and also the transiting nodes, they are the indicators of when karma ripens. Like I mentioned to you, or you saw my Facebook post that I was talking about this last year, I had I was working through this karma because in my own chart, there were factors indicating that my karma was ripening for, for me to look at. And it's going to play out within the context of the present life. So although it might have been centuries ago, um, it plays out within the confines, the context of 2020, you know, in Portland, Oregon, you know, with this personality that I have and in these people in my life, those same karmic themes play out within this context. And so, so is it, is it, oh, go ahead. I'll let you finish. No, no, I'm done. Go, go ahead. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm, I still want to stick to this analogy of the two-year-old behind the wheel of the car. Um, and you talked about intentions mm -hmm. as being important for that two-year-old's karma in subsequent lives. Uh, I guess the, the, the 20 people that were killed as a result of that, mm -hmm. it's kind of irrelevant whether like whatever the 
the two-year-old's intentions were or not, the, the effect is still the same. They've died. And how you balance the scales of something like that, if they have their own... Is, is karma in that case really just around the two-year-old and their karma and what that incident does well, that they'll have? My sense is, is that there's a lot less of a karmic price with, um, with innocent intention, something accidental. Um, if, if you have in violent intention, like if you yeah. kill somebody and you look him in the eye and you stab him in the heart while you're looking him in the eye and there's a very potent energetic situation going on there. And so the way that that manifests potentially in some future life is the energy is intense. You will recognize that person. You are drawn to them because you have work with them and, and, that energy is very seductive even. It's very attractive. And it's almost like, um, it's like, yeah, here we are again. It's like, I know you. And, and you get this, this flavor. And then you're drawn together for some reason because you're working out the karma that you have together because that was something that needs to be reconciled in some way. So, so is, 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 is the way that you view this, that, that working out the karma and balancing the scales is that you're given opportunities over and over again to do it better or to, 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 to like evolve to, yes, to, do, to do it, it in more, a more mature way. Exactly. To do it more consciously. And that reconciles the karma is that mm. we do the same lessons or themes more maturely, more consciously. Um, and then that heals it. Um, now I mentioned polarity that if, if we have been, you know, um, let's say someone extravagant, wealthy, let's say a king in, in a prior life who was uh, very egomaniacal and, and hoarded money and was unconcerned with other people's poverty and plight, they might come back as someone poor to experience the polarity. Um, mm. So they can balance the experience. I know what it's in their soul. I know what it, not consciously, but I know what it's like to be extravagantly wealthy. And now I'm learning the polarity. And because that balances, it gives you the education and it gives you empathy and it gives you more of a sense of, of, um, of disbalance. Um, mm -hmm. And so the mechanisms of karma, I can't speak to. Um, it's more complicated mm -hmm. than, than I understand. Um, I don't think it works in a linear, clean way. Like, you know, uh, people like to simplify things just like sun sign astrology. I don't think it's so simple. Oh, you're a king one life. You're going to come back as a peasant the next life. I don't think it's that quite simple. Um, I think that we have so many lifetimes and so much karma that there's only a subset that is actually chosen by the soul to resolve in any one lifetime. You couldn't resolve all of the karma that you have because it's just too much. I mean, what, if we buy into the idea of reincarnation and we understand the idea of eternity, we've got potentially thousands, hundreds of thousands, who knows, millions of lives. You can't reconcile it all in one lifetime. And so in my study of Eastern past, um, I, I've, I've, I've run into the ideas of of having um, this subset, the the soul specifically chooses what karma is going to be resolved. And the astrology chart is going to reflect that, but our absorbed experience is probably far greater than that. You, you've you've mentioned the soul a few times now. Could 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 you talk about what that word means to you? Like what 
How, how do you view what a soul is? Yeah. Um, to me, the sun in astrology um, has a lot to do with awakening or enlightenment or being in your soul self. And to me, the sun is is fire. It's energy. And to me, the analogy that I have taken to most is imagine, um, you know, spirit being the oneness of all energy, uh, the eternal flame of oneness, just energy. Everything is in a huge interconnected web of energy. And energy is aligned with the fire element in astrology. And so is the sun in astrology. Now think of like one really big fire and then we could all have our own individual candles and then we can light our candle off of the big flame and then we have a little flame on a separate candle. And so to me, the soul is the flame of your candle. That is yeah. your awareness. That is your energy. That is your life force that connects to the broader oneness of all energy. So the soul is kind of the mediator between spirit, the oneness of all energy, and the body and physical separation, which would be analogous to the wax of the candle. Okay. So the soul is like the flame of the candle. Yeah. And then you're, you can meet your candle with somebody else's, and you can meet at the soul level and you can bring your candle and light theirs and you can join two candles together. And that's the way we can all join in oneness because we can do that with, with energy, with the flame we can join, but you can't do that with the wax. Um, yeah. You're, you're separate as Glenn. I'm separate as Eric, and we're going to have two different bodies. We cannot be one body, but we can unify at the soul level when we bring our energy together. Hmm. So that's the way I see okay. the soul. It's our energy. So, that, so that's how. So that's how you see soul. Okay. And and so, a soul that has had multiple incarnations is is a portion of that one eternal energy, and it it's just a portion, kind of like a flame. Yeah, you know, the flame uh, and, stays connected, but it also goes into separation. It's, it's yeah, because I mean, because that, the, I, and I recognize it's just an analogy, and every every analogy has its limitations. And this one to me seems that if, if if we're talking about the energy that fills up everything and is everywhere, then you can't really ever have anything that's separate from it. Right. Um, to like light a candle that what didn't exist before, <laughs> like it's always right. all just it is. there. It's a paradox that in order to have this discussion, yeah. we have to be able to hold the paradox that there is separation and there's oneness at the same time. Yeah. That you yeah. and I are and different people. We have separate consciousness and we're both also part of oneness. Yeah. 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 So to me, the soul is the mediator between that and therefore the soul is immortal energy is never created or destroyed it just transforms so the soul is our immortal part and to me that goes with the with the energy level and the body goes with separation the physical level that is temporary and that will decay and erode and go away everything at the biological at the physical level is temporary and everything at the energetic level is permanent and and so our does your concept of this soul, this this kind of candle flame, because you've talked about um, evolution, like like a soul evolving, a soul progressing from lifetime to, to lifetime. What is it progressing from and what is it progressing to? 
Yeah, well, I would say part that of this whole perfected energy that already is perfected. Yeah, I would say that the language again is tricky. I mean, people think it yeah. say that the soul is evolving. Um, I I think that is um, not the correct way to say it. I think the ego is evolving. The soul mm. is our bright enlightened part that's connected to oneness that is overseeing the whole thing. The mm. ego is what is starts in immaturity and unconsciousness. The egoic mm level is what matures as we go through school as we go through different grades different levels of evolution emotionally spiritually and otherwise and so i look at evolution as in more of an egoic thing a maturation thing the soul is the connected to more enlightenment it's connected to universal awareness it's, it's connected to that broader context and so mm. soul embodiment is when we are more integrating our soul into our physical egoic body system. But, um, but we all begin as immature and unconscious. And because of that, we create this karma that we need to develop from lifetime to lifetime. So it's more kind of egoic development rather than mm. your soul is evolving. If that makes okay. sense. I don't know how much <laughs> it's interesting. Other people I, have like, a different like, view. Other people might say yeah. that your soul actually does evolve. Um, right. I would say that we're evolving in the soul journey. I would make mm. that distinction with the language. It's a soul journey, but yeah. your experience from lifetime to lifetime is being a human, physical, egoic personality system. That is where the growth is playing out. Okay. Are, are you familiar with uh, David Hawkins and the map of consciousness? Not really. Okay. All right. Well, maybe we can talk about that another time then. But it, it's it's something that I've recently came across, and I find it really really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, where where he, he's basically saying that there's different different emotional levels. Uh, at at the lowest is shame and guilt, and then feeling like apathy and grief, and working up to desire and anger and pride and then courage, then neutrality and uh, acceptance, willingness, rationality, love and joy. And he gives them all like numerical, uh, Okay. He, he assigns numbers to them and talks about how the, the enlightened person, I think what you were saying about the, the, the ego and the soul being kind of I, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but that progression of the ego where it can really embody yeah, the and, wisdom and of the soul. And having an understanding with different uh, grades like that, you know, yeah. think of a spectrum from dark to bright. And yeah. this is what we're all evolving along the spectrum. This is called, you know, you right. can call it the spectrum of awakening. So the way to, right. um, to bring this to astrology is that a lot of times conventional astrology looks at things in the astrological system and they judge them as good or bad. Um, yeah. And my view is that nothing in astrology, nothing is right. inherently good or bad. Everything is on right. the spectrum between dark and bright. So right, right now the sun is in cancer. So I'll mention that. So you can have dark unconscious cancer, which would be being very crabby and, you know, overly emotional and needy and pity party and regressive and you know think about a whiny little four-year-old who um, is having a temper tantrum that's the um, dark cancer 
the bright cancer, well, the Dalai Lama is a cancer. Um, mm. Nelson Mandela is a cancer son. And the bright, more awakened cancer would be a sense of heart, a sense of love, mm. a sense of empathy for others. The, the bright cancer is um, just radiating, you know, um, emotionally intelligent, heartfelt energy. You feel um, taken care of. There is a sense of of nurturance to to this energy, which is very different than the screaming three year old. But it's the same archetype. And so we all begin at the unconscious or darker spectrum. And while while we're young, we play that out when we're three years old. And again, I don't yeah. look at that as negative or bad. That's just right. that's that's conscious and mature. And then as we grow into the tree, we're going to do the brighter, more awake version of these archetypes. So with cancer, you're going to become a lot more heartfelt, um, a lot more compassionate to others. Um, Leo is going to be more engaging and and um, and less egocentric. You know, the yeah. the young Leo is attention seeking. The um, the mature Leo is just sees itself as a conduit for spiritual creativity and is not taking personal credit, but is just, you know, radiating joy in a selfless way. And so it's how consciousness registers on this spectrum of dark to bright. And all of us are doing that maturation. In my view, for over many, many lifetimes, we're going to grow gradually and do the bright side of all of these archetypes and yeah. ideally would be more you know whole and and more enlightened conceivably yeah yeah the 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 way that i've been thinking about it recently j just because i've i've read this book by david hawkins called letting go and he talks about the map of consciousness in, in there he talks about this spectrum basically going from really really low at shame and grief all the way up to like unconditional love and and joy and enlightenment that comes from unconditional love and that basically the way that he's saying it and, and i think where this would tie in maybe with what you're saying is that the soul is already unconditional love unlightened it's 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 everything it's the full mature yeah it's part of spirit but the but the ego that we are is somewhere along that spectrum. Yes. And 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 nowhere along that spectrum is bad because it's part of the the growth. Like like if you're looking at an acorn growing into a tree, you would never look at that sprouting thing right. midway and go, "Oh, that's bad." It's just it's at, that's at the stage of unfolding that it's at right now. Exactly. I always, you know, this is a constant conversation I have almost every day in my life is I strongly yeah. encourage people to throw out good, bad language and just look yeah. at evolution as a maturation process. Right, right. And, mm -hmm. and and so the the people that are interested in expanding their ego, expanding their consciousness, I, I, I guess the way that I'd like to think about it is that at any given moment, we could look around and see all of these amazing things that we could be grateful for. Um, and if we were really looking through the eyes of spirit <laughs> we would we would just be in love with everything all the time but because we're looking through our own egoic physical body eyes and all of the the scars and ptsd and things that we've been through in life we, we don't see a, the the roses we don't see all the good stuff we see whatever you know we yeah we i mean conditioned ourselves to see um and but we could but we we could see all of the good things right now if we didn't have these things that were limiting us 
What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's the way that I see it is another analogy. This obviously is not unique to to me, but ideas that are are out there is thinking about the whole process as a uh, game of hide and seek. So then, here's the drama. My metaphysics, let me be perfectly frank with you, are that there is the central self, you can call it God, you can call it anything you like. And it's all of us. It's playing all the parts of all beings whatsoever, everywhere and anywhere. And it's playing the game of hide and seek with itself. It gets lost, it gets involved in the farthest out adventures, but in the end, it always wakes up and comes back to itself. And when you're ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. And if you're not ready, you're going to stay pretending that you're just a little, poor little me. And uh, since you're all here and engaged in this sort of inquiry and listening to this sort of lecture, I assume that you're all on the process of waking up. Or else you're teasing yourselves with some kind of... flirtation with waking up which you're not serious about but I assume maybe you are not serious but sincere that you are ready to wake up so then when you're in the way of waking up and finding out who you really are you meet a character called a guru as the Hindus say this word the teacher the awakener and what is the function of a guru He's the man who looks at you in the eye and says, oh, come off it. (laughs) I know who you are. You know, you come to the guru and say, sir, I have a problem. I'm unhappy and I want to get one up on the universe or I want to become enlightened. I want spiritual wisdom. Ah, and the guru looks at you and says, who are you? You know, Sri Ramana Maharshi, that great Hindu sage, of modern times, people used to come to him and say, Master, who was I in my last incarnation? As if that mattered. And he would say, who is asking the question? And he'd look at you and say, basically, go right down to it. You're looking at me, you're looking out, and you're unaware of what's behind your eyes. Go back in and find out who you are, where the question comes from, why you ask. And if you've looked at a photograph of that man, I have a gorgeous photograph of him. And you look in those, I walk by it every time I go out of the front door. And I look at those eyes and the humor in them. The lilting laugh that says, oh, come off it, man. (laughs) Shiva, I recognize you. When you come to my door and you say, I'm so-and-so, I say, ha ha, what a funny way God has come on today. (laughs) Uh, There are all sorts of tricks, of course, that gurus play. They uh, say, well, we're going to put you through the mill. And the reason they do that is simply that you won't wake up until you feel you've paid a price for it. In other words, the sense of guilt that one has, or the sense of anxiety, is simply 
the way one experiences keeping the game of disguise going on. Do you see that? Supposing you say, I feel guilty. Christianity makes you feel guilty for existing. That somehow, the very fact that you exist is an affront. You are a fallen human being. I remember as a child when we went to the services of the church on Good Friday. They gave us each a colored postcard with Jesus crucified on it. And it said underneath, This have I done for thee. What doest thou for me? You know, you fell off. You have nailed that man to the cross. Because you eat steak, you have crucified Christ. Because you kill the bull. After all, you depend on it. Mithra. It's the same mystery. And what are you going to do about that? This have I done for thee. What doest thou for me? You feel awful that you just exist at all. But that sense, that sense of guilt is the veil across the sanctuary. Don't you dare come in. In order to, you know, in all mysteries, when you're going to be initiated, there's somebody saying, ah, 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 don't you come in. You've got to fulfill this requirement, of this requirement, of this requirement, of this requirement, then we'll let you in. And so you go, you, you go through the mill. Why? Because this is, you're saying to yourself, I won't wake up until I feel I deserve it. I won't wake up until I've made it difficult for me to wake up. So I, I, I invent for myself an elaborate system of delaying my waking up. I put myself through this test and that test and when I feel it's been sufficiently arduous then I may at last admit to myself who I really am and draw aside the veil and realize that after all when all is said and done I am that I am which is the name of God. And when it comes to it, that's really rather funny. They say in Zen, when you attain Satori, nothing is left to you at that moment but to have a good laugh. But naturally, uh, all masters, Zen masters, yoga masters, every kind of master, uh, puts up a barrier and says to you, He simply plays your own game. You know, we say anybody who goes to a psychiatrist ought to have his head examined. Because you, when you go to a psychiatrist, you define yourself as somebody who ought to have his head examined. Same way, uh, the Zen masters say anybody who studies Zen or comes to a Zen master ought to be given 30 blows with a stick. Because he was stupid enough to pose the question that he had a problem. But you're the problem. You, you put yourself in this situation. So it's a question fundamentally. Do you define yourself as a victim of the world or as the world? 
You can define yourself. You see, if you identify you with what you call the voluntary system of the nerves and say, only that's me, and that's really a rather limited amount of my total performance, what I do voluntarily, then you've defined yourself as the victim in the game. And so you are able to feel that life was a trap. Something else, whether it was God or whether it was fate or whether it was uh, the big mechanism, the system, imposed this on you. And you can say, poor little me. But you can equally well, and with just as much justification, define yourself not only as what you do voluntarily, but also what you do involuntarily. That's you too. Do you beat your heart or don't you? Or does it just happen to you? And if you define yourself as the works, then nobody's imposing on you. You're not a victim. You're doing it. Because you can't explain how you do it in words, because words are too clumsy. And it takes too long to say. You get bored with it. But actually, then you can say, with, with gusto, I am responsible for this life. Whether comedy or tragedy, I did it. And it seems to me that that is a basis for behavior and going on, which is more fundamentally joyous and profitable and uh, great than defining ourselves as miserable victims or sinners or what have you. Yeah, I mean, it's the way that I see it is another analogy. This obviously is not unique to, to me, but ideas that are, are out there is thinking about the whole process as a uh, game of hide and seek is that is that spirit is going to break up from oneness into separation and then rediscover itself. And it's an endless game. What else is it going to do? And so it's all a game of hide and seek of rediscovering oneness. So we begin in the dark, in, in the unconsciousness, and then we gradually throughout the lifetime, in my view, over many, many lifetimes, are building more awareness, building more presence, yeah. building more uh, intelligence and emotional intelligence and everything else. And we're becoming God, um, more realized. We are that to begin with, but we don't think we are. But we're realizing that with more of the potentials that are available with that maturation. And and then, you know, I'm not there myself, so I can't speak from my own experience, but from what I understand and other people who have, is that, yeah, you do start to have different experiences where it's, it's I, I, you know, processes are happening through you and you, you're just not seeing that these are my eyes, I'm looking at this thing, but no, I'm meeting myself perhaps, is that, I, mm. is that there's, I'm, I'm just going along for the ride here. Whereas early on, we are so identified with the personality that, you know, this is me, these are my eyes. And we have ownership, or we think we do. But in my view, part of awakening is to see everything's being borrowed. We're just wearing the costume, and processes are operating through us. <laughs> and it's not all about me. Is um, I'm the universe is connecting with itself through me. 
And, and and so then is is the way that you view karma one of these mechanisms and processes that that moves the evolution of consciousness from that point of separation to the point of uh, awareness of the oneness of all things. Is there a question the, in the, there? The, yeah, yeah. The, the role that karma plays is is karma is karma part of that function that moves things from one point to another, moves things along. Well, to me, the karma is the ripples that we make when we throw the pebble into the puddle, and we have to address our uh, actions, our uh, habitual behaviors, and we have to mature those things um, to to continue to move forward. Um, and yeah. also balance with I guess what I'm asking is that is that maturation process that the process of awakening or the process of raising your consciousness increasing yeah. your awareness and and I'm saying yes and it does stem from what happened before we we are responsible for prior behaviors whatever so um, so those are going to come back thematically it doesn't necessarily come back literally it's more thematic mm-hmm. um, some people, again, with simplistic lenses, they like to have the view that, okay, well, if you punch someone in one life, then someone's going to punch you the exact same way in some other. I don't think it works that way. Uh, That's way too cartoonish and simplistic. But the theme of acting with unchecked aggression, you might have unchecked aggression in some way, in some form, even hidden or mysterious to you might come back in some way that you have to deal with because that's what you put out with the ripples of your pebble. So that's going to come back in some way, but it's not so simple and it may be some other lifetime, but I have seen, and this is why I studied this and why I believe in it. I have seen with working with clients now for over 20 years is that when the karmic signatures in charts are activated, that's what people's themes are in their life. They're in uh, certain uh, circumstances that they need to unravel and make sense of. And the astrology gives you the overarching uh, viewpoint of um, of the general uh, themes. It doesn't give specifics. Mm. You know, a lot of people think that if you look at astrology, you're going to get specific. You you can't look at any astrology chart, which is basically a bunch of symbols. And located to the Crusades in the 12th century versus, you know, the 18th century in Japan or anything else. It doesn't get that specific. Um, It's more general. Um, And then things play out within the context of the present. Um, The way to get specifics is through intuitive means. Astrology is more left brain. Uh, It's more of a system that you can study. But to get the specifics, you need to go into the Akashic records, past life regression. You got to work with someone, maybe hypnosis. You have to work in the level of consciousness to get specifics about prior lives. Astrology, in my view, doesn't give you that. Okay. Well, you, you mentioned clients that you've worked with, um, and, and maybe you could tie that in. Like the last question that I want to ask is, is how this understanding of karma has helped you practically in your life. Maybe you could talk about, you know, just in general, uh, clients that you've worked with, how how it has helped them, just to cope with the everyday struggles that we all have in, in our life. How how is this helpful? Yeah, well, there's one point I, I want to make, which I I don't think you're going to mind me saying this, but. Go ahead, um, yeah. 
but you and I have the same, I mentioned this in your council, you and I have the right, same right, karmic yeah. signature. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I don't mind speaking what it is. We both have uh, a Leo. I'll, I'll probably play the clip. <laughs> I'll probably insert the clip right here from that reading. Okay. Before we talk more about the potential, I'd be remiss if I didn't circle back and speak a little bit more about the outstanding emotional work mm. that is in the chart. Everyone's got something unprocessed. If you buy into the idea of reincarnation, um, then we're all absorbing our experience and it becomes us and we're holding on to certain facets of it for whatever reason that makes an impact. So the astrology chart does convey what's in the emotional body that um, ideally needs to be resolved because you might even have some karma where there might have been uh, secrets or parts of you that were only expressed your authentic parts of you you keep in um, in only private or secretive ways because it is probably more unique or different than other people so now your chart is speaking about bringing all of who you are globally to be representing the the true you this is a lifetime of deep immersion in the metaphysical or the soul level and then to do works out in the world specifically that come from vision that come from the inspiration that you find in this journey of self-discovery there's going to be a lot of richness um, that specifically can be brought publicly and doing things that do have a sense of image or teaching or spirituality, things we talked about before, that would fit mm. your chart. Uh, creative things, you are here to be working with big ideas and big picture things and have the courage to represent yourself to the world in this much more authentic way. Because again, like me, the karma of conformity and worrying about judgment and worrying about criticism or worrying about people not liking you or whatever that gets in the way of the delivery of things that are going to help the world wake up so aquarius is is the awakener mm. that's the promise uh of your north node like me is to do things that wake conscious so i'm doing that through the beatles book you know, to, to get to the mass consciousness is seeing that there's another dimension that's woven through the whole freaking thing that yeah. you can understand that gives you a lot more insight to what was going on. You got the same type of thing with your chart, with whatever issues or techniques or modalities or interests. Any, I mean, it's wide open how you want to do this. Mm -hmm. um, but to ground broader visionary things into projects, into public consumption into a message uh, totally fits your chart. So communications, I'm glad with, with the podcast, that fits. And I would say that courage to become more and more of a leader, someone who's pushing the envelope would be the high end of your chart because there's insecurity, self-doubt, or even identification that it's not my place or not my turn. I need to defer to someone else who probably knows better than I do. That right. type of discounting of oneself yeah. becomes shifted through leadership, bold self-presentation of things that are, are going to push people's buttons. Um, that helps remedy the karma. Mm -hmm. So how, how strong are you now to be willing to be seen 
as weird or misguided or a freak or, or whatever. I'll, I'll probably play the clip. <laughs> I'll probably insert the clip right here from that reading. Yeah, we, we both have a, a Leo South node in the sixth house. And yeah. and that's, we both have that same general karmic, um, you know, attunement in our charts. And what it means is, you know, Leo is about um, wanting validation and approval and being a good guy and it has sense of conformity. And the sixth house is an area of service, uh, being helpful to others. And you and I in our biographies that are different have both played the role of basically the good guy who wants to be helpful to other people. That's our karma. For me, I was in the mental health field for many years. I helped disadvantaged kids. I was into you know, all types of service types of job where I was basically being a nice guy. Um, you are similarly have this kind of nice guy karma. I was a Mormon missionary. You know, I had a really nice short haircut. I was, I was nice to everybody around me. I just wanted them to. Well, the missionary the stuff saved. brings in some other dynamics that, uh, are, right. that are not necessarily about this one signature, but um so this is the, what I'm saying is that you and I are very different, but we have the same general statement and it's played out wildly different in our biographies, but we both have the same statement to how to balance that karma, which would be the North node in Aquarius in the 12th house, which is Aquarius is to move away from the personality validation and go into metaphysical, spiritual things. And, and the 12th house similarly, um, is about uh, consciousness and it's about spirituality uh, because the service was more mundane and earthy and it was just being helpful on a more task-oriented level. So you and I are both balancing more or less service karma with um, the freedom away from that to explore spirituality, metaphysics, and, and broader concepts and dimensions like even astrology. Um, because that balance is what we're already familiar with, which is being helpful, good guys on the ground. This actually lifts us out of that, gives us perspective and sees that we don't necessarily have to behave that way. We have a broader perspective to understand the human experience. Um, and then we become liberated from that pattern because we have invested in the polarity. Yeah. And, and I remember when, when you mentioned that to me last year, when we did that, that reading, um, the, the thing that really stuck out to me was when, when you talked about that uh, being a good guy, service to others, uh, you, you talked about it in a way of trying to get their approval. Yeah. Um, and b because we didn't really have it in ourselves. We weren't really doing our own self-love, self-validation stuff. We exactly were looking to get that from others. And that that's part of the the shift. That's part of the opportunity. Well, that was the unconsciousness. That was the darkness that went into the karma was the idea that I need other people to approve of me and love me. And right. that's simply not true. We don't need other yeah. people. We need the self to be connected to oneself and love and approval. That actually comes from within. This is so I actually came up with a slogan about that, that issue. You're welcome to share with me. It goes like this. I don't need you to love me. That's my job. But that's the unconsciousness of the Leo karma is that we didn't realize that love comes from inside. We thought we needed to earn it, that other people will dole it out for us. And we were trying to be, 
you know, respectable enough to earn it. Yeah. But we don't need to and, earn love. And, yeah, and and I and I think if I remember right, one of the things that you said was that it, it's it's possible in in the charts for this life that it's it's a, a time of liberation from that false belief, from that ignorance. From from that yeah, because that's what the the uh, North Node, the balancing agent of the karma, is the perspective Aquarius around spirituality. That's the twelfth house, hmm. and having the experiences. The twelfth house is an area of experience to feel universal, unconditional love from spirit, from source, from oneness. That we feel connected at a soul level uh, to all of life. We become nourished within ourselves in our own spirituality yeah. and that lifts us out of that entrenched pattern at the human level where we are needy and hungry for other people to fill it in yeah and and i think the way that i that i understand that now is that we we become aware that that nourishment has always been going on right <laughs> that that we've always been nourished from well, that's that the amnesia of the, that's yeah. the unconsciousness of the acorn state is Right. The darkness we had i call it spiritual amnesia we had it all along yeah. i like in the wizard of oz where dorothy says you know i was right. home the whole time you know yeah. that's a perfect you know depiction of this is that we yeah. always have it but we forget because we begin yeah. and that's the way it's set up in immaturity and unconsciousness and then eventually we mature enough we slap our forehead and say oh my god i had it the whole time yeah <laughs> yeah and that's basically what spiritual awakening has a lot to do with. Cool. Yeah. So, so, and and maybe that answers the question of how, how, how this, uh, how astrology or how karma, uh, your understanding of karma can, can help in practical ways in your life, because you could probably see that, that living a life where you feel a lot of self-love is a better life than living a life where you don't feel <laughs> that, Pretty that self love. But I do want to return to what you said. I think before we even got the recording started, where you were talking to some other person that said, "Oh, here's yeah. this evil person. Are they going to get their comeuppance?" I, I, right. I do want to address that before we close. Is right. that my view? You, is, you can you can say you can address Tom directly. So you can say, "Tom, this is for you." Oh, okay. I didn't realize Tom. Um, <laughs> so, Tom, this is for you. I would say don't worry about other people's, um, you know, karmic bank account. It's between them and spirit, and it will get worked out. And um, you can't understand it. It's really none of your business. And it will get worked out in one way, shape, or form. It may be mysterious how it works out. It may be in some other lifetime rather than this one. I don't know. But um, my understanding is that Ultimately, all karma becomes reconciled and balanced to return to a state of equilibrium. Um, and so I would also, the reason why I wanted to, to address that question, because within that question, the way you framed it earlier was, oh, here's this bad person doing bad things yeah. Uh, yeah. or they're evil. I would just say, let's be a little bit gentler. They are unconscious and immature and they did X, Y, or Z that was unconscious and immature, but I wouldn't call them necessarily a bad person. I don't think it's bad to be early in the developmental process. I don't think it's bad, like we said before, to be three years old. So you can look at this person, maybe they're 55 years old, but they're actually maybe only three years old spiritually, and they're doing things that you might judge as bad, but I'm looking at it as, as more immature and unconscious, and those things will 
the scales of, of will be balanced um, in one way, shape or form. Um, so we don't have to uh, stick our nose in everyone else's business. Part of it is trusting life, trusting this broader uh, spiritual organization that we only have, you know, glimpses of, or, or, you know, what I'm saying with my knowledge, I, the way I feel like I'm totally, you know, not qualified. I probably know, you know, just 2% uh, of, of how it works. And here I am thinking that I know it all, which I don't. Right. Um, and so it's much more complex than any of us, but we just need to trust that. Um, yeah. And that, I think that's the hard part. I think trust, I mean, especially, when you grew up trusting your religious leaders that what they were telling you was the truth. And then you start finding out that these stories that they've been telling you aren't true. And sometimes they even knew that they weren't true. And so what does it do to your ability to trust in these kinds of things? Well, I think it makes it really hard. Well, that is hard. And I would just say that everything is, is in a state of evolution. So all educational systems, religions, all societal organization is all in a process of development. Whereas a lot of these religions like to think that they are at the, you know, top of the mountain and they have it all figured out and it's all enlightened. But that to me contradicts the whole point of evolution. Everything is in a process of becoming. So if there is, in my view, any religion that believes they have a, you know, all the truth and, and, you know, you just have to, um, believe it full scale. Um, to me, that's it's very naive. Um, you know, they might think that they're on the mountaintop, but maybe the mountain is is many other uh, plateaus um, that they're yeah. not aware of. So um, everything's in a but, state but, but of. I guess, I guess what I'm wondering is is how how can if if you have someone that can't just trust. They're like, you, you tell me, I just need to trust that this is going to be okay. And it's going to balance out. I can't do that. I can't just trust. Now what? Like, how, well, this is how a can you encourage somebody to trust if they really can't trust? Well, let's be clear. I'm, I'm saying that we should be skeptical, like around organized religions, thinking that they know all the answers. Um, sure. we, we rightfully should be skeptical and see them as only at one step in a long evolutionary, you know, ladder. Um, that's more religion. Spirituality is different. Religion is theology and belief systems. Spirituality is experience and it's consciousness. And when we are able to have um, connectedness in our consciousness, when we feel a sense of oneness or wholeness or spiritual connection, we can trust that. That's more experiential. When we feel held, where, where these ideas feel real. We're actually having the experience that, no, I feel connected to, to things around me. It's not just an idea. So there's a big difference between religion and spirituality, between when I use the word trust within those different contexts. In astrology, religion more or less goes with Sagittarius and spirituality goes with Pisces. They're two totally different archetypes. But these things have been conflated and confused. Um you know, religion and, and spirituality, they, they go together, but also yeah. they're, they're very different. So it's a, it's a nuanced discussion. So when I say trust, it isn't trusting the religious authorities. It's trusting your own spiritual experience and your own yeah. sense of connectedness. And if you don't have that, then that's the work to get there, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. 
is there are ways to raise consciousness. There are ways, there are techniques, there are meditations, there is contemplative techniques that we can do. Um, I'm no expert at it. I struggle with it. That's why I've got the North Node in the 12th house is I'm learning how to do those things. I'm certainly no yeah. expert. That's part of my curriculum. Um, yeah. But so I, I have the humility that we're all works in progress. I mean, we're talking about a lot of fancy ideas and all I can say is that's the way it appears from my limited perception at this level of my evolution. I certainly could be wrong about everything I said. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Me too. <laughs> Completely. But I, but all what right. I will say is that I know all, it seems a whole lot more clear than it was when I was young. When I was young, so much younger than today. So, so let, let's, let's, uh, end off by talking about your book a little bit. You're working on a book right now that is very interesting yeah. to me as a Beatles fan. Uh -huh. Talk about what you're doing. Okay. Yeah. It's called the spiritual dimension of the Beatles. And I, had an epiphany in late 2016 that uh, I was writing a different book and I just had an epiphany. I got to write a book on the Beatles. And I was thinking, you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea because, you know, I can write an astrology book on the Beatles and that will give me a broader audience for my work. So I was writing a book called the astrology of the Beatles and it was basically an astrology book. And then I wrote the whole freaking book. And then I realized that people such as you and many others who are Beatles fans that may not have any astrological background would be highly interested in what I've discovered here. Because basically I looked at the astrology for the four of them for everything, all the events in their chronology, every song, every album, every person that's connected right. to them, like, uh, you know, Mary McCartney or, you know, Stu Sutcliffe or many others. I looked at everything that's part of the story and I uh, was able to see that there is another dimension going on here, just like there is in all of our lives. There's another dimension that we're not fully aware of. But I bring it specifically to this story with these individuals, with their body of work, and it really became um, very illuminating that what I discovered, I had no agenda going in or no preconceived notions of how it unfolded. I just followed where it took me, and where it did take me was some pretty major spiritual implications um, about um, connecting um, through inspiration um, to yeah. other dimensions of consciousness, which is what I believe was happening, that the music and the message is connected to other sources, other um, avenues, um, other consciousness. And I lay it all out with the astrology for those who want to, to get the detail and the evidence. And then I describe it for the layman more or less in, in the first part of the book. Um, yeah. So I tried my best to make it accessible to the non-astrologer as well as the astrologer. So that was a very tough rewrite for me to do. And I don't know how much I've succeeded, uh, but you've read <laughs> some of it and you can tell me yeah. if, if it makes sense to you. Well, I, 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 I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm very familiar with the Beatles. I, I've, I've loved them since I was a teenager. Uh, but anybody, e even the casual observer of the Beatles can see that they went through a, a growth phase um, in, in their music. And there's a very distinct style, the transformation over the years that they were together. And what was so interesting to me in reading your book is the way that you would kind of chart that, uh, <laughs> that transformation 
with astrology, looking at where they're, you know, like the nodes are here. And so even on like days when they wrote certain songs and um, these different events that were yeah, going on in their lives. Process. Yeah. yeah that, that matched these, like these seasons and these flow, but like the, the ebb and flow um, so, so perfectly. It was, it's really, really interesting. It is. So, no, uh, the stuff in there, yeah. it did, it did come out um, really uh, neatly with many of the overarching ideas I was presenting. I was really satisfied with that, but here's yeah. one thing I can say that's a little bit more concrete about past life stuff and about familiarity. Um, so any Beatles fans who are listening to this are, are going to uh, perhaps uh, resonate with this or enjoy it is, you know, looking at them from the lens of reincarnation. Um, what I talked about is John Lennon was already very familiar with being a visionary. Paul McCartney was already very familiar being a performer. Okay, so John was innately Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Dutchley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Looking at them from the lens of reincarnation, um, what I talk about is John Lennon was already very familiar with being a visionary. Paul McCartney was already very familiar being a performer. Okay, so John was innately um, intuitive. John could just connect in. He spent a lot of time in retreat and sleeping. He was famously lazy. He liked to be removed from the world. He, he knew how to more or less be a visionary. It was very instinctual for him um, because he's done that in prior lives. Where Paul is the opposite. Paul is naturally a performer. He can pick up an instrument and just play it. He's very talented because he's been a musician, in my view, for many past lives. So he just picked up the guitar and the piano and is very natural for him. But, but for John, being a musician was his edge. And he needed Paul to teach him the chords, the know-how. Paul was much more musically intelligent than John was, um, by far. I mean, Paul just was innately um, musical. And he supported John to learn how to play the guitar and what chords are and et cetera. And, and John had the opposite skill. He was innately intuitive. And so much of Paul's growth throughout the Beatles is he developed into being more intuitive and Paul was downloading or channeling these um, unbelievable, you know, uh, archetypal storylines and teachings and all types of stuff because that was his intention to grow. And John could model that and support Paul growing into a visionary. And Paul could model and support John's growth as an entertainer, as a performer. And so that's where they blended and they blended together to create visionary music, the complete synthesis of what they were both good at and what they both supported their fellow partner with. And so it was a beautiful partnership, but it's a good way to see that their karmic familiarity were very different, 
but the intention was to bring it in to complement and to learn from each other. Yeah. And, and and even more so, Paul was very diplomatic, easygoing, very friendly. John was more of an individualist. He was more of a leader. He didn't care so much what other people thought of him. And Paul was learning to be a leader like John and be just much more of that cocksure free spirit. And John was learning how to roll up his sleeves and be diplomatic and um, Get along. And, and yield to others and learn from them rather than being just yeah. a guy in charge. So they had a beautiful partnership of teaching each other exactly what they other needed to, to learn. All right. So we've geeked out over the Beatles. <laughs> oh, I can do it for forever. I know. <laughs> and people who read cool. this book will see it's, it's pretty comprehensive. It's pretty thick. It's uh, it's got a lot of substance to it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for, thanks for spending the time, Eric. Any, anything that you want to say in closing? Um, you're, ta you're talking to a group of ex-Mormons here and any, anything or, yeah. or, or Mormons that are currently going that I don't know that much about, I, I believe I, anymore. When I was in Colorado, I, I, I knew a few people who were Mormons or ex-Mormons, but I grew up on the East coast and, uh, there wasn't too many Mormons. There was, uh, I mean, I was Jewish. I was the minority. Everyone else was Christian around me. Um, so no, I don't have anything specifically for the Mormon population, but I would say it doesn't matter what path we're on. We're all part of spirit. We're all learning. We're all maturing. We're all in this together. And, um, and to me, spirituality really is about oneness. It's about finding brotherhood and sisterhood within everyone and, um, and to learn and, you know, mutually influence one another in ways that are heartfelt is, is what I believe we're all learning to do here. So uh, I don't care what religion anyone's coming from. It's where's, where's your heart? Where's, where's your intention? And so my prayers for all of us to, to further, you know, unite and, and create the oneness here. And we're in a very dark time where that doesn't look very possible right now, but believe me, things will shift as the years go by in the 2020s. And it's actually going to, going to be a far more progressive time than what looks like today. So I guess I'm saying hang in there. And again, trust life. <laughs> Have passed some yeah. What you're and, seeing and, now is and, not permanent. And maybe the best, the best thing to say about karma, that in the end... The love you take <laughs> is equal to the love you make. <laughs>
end of uh, the song, uh, it was, the song it goes, uh, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. You remember that? Yes. Uh, is that true? Yes, Chris. In, in my experience, it is, I find the more you give, the more you get. <sighs> Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones.